Hey there, folks. This is Rish Outfield, and all of that noise that you're hearing means that this is another episode of the Rish Out cast. Usually these suckers are the podcast that dares not speak its name. You've already heard that before, but it bears repeating that when I am indoors and recording in a quiet environment, I tend to call those the podcast that dares not speak its name. But most of my podcasts are recorded while I'm driving. It's just a much more efficient use of my time. It's something that I really enjoy, and I pity you if you hate that, if you hate the sound being not quite as good or terrible in some cases. Imagine how I feel having to edit it. But still, there are a lot more recordings like this than there are the other kind of recordings. That's just the price that you've got to pay if you want to get more episodes from me. It is, wow, it is nearly the end of summer, 2021, and right before summertime, I had in my head that I needed to share with you a novella or novel-length piece like I did last year, and I feel like I did the year before, but I couldn't decide what it was going to be. I have a book called Newfound Fame that I am very fond of and I would like very much to share with you, but I haven't gotten around to it, and I feel like what I would need to do is listen to it so that I was familiar with the character names and how I did the voices and figure out points to end each episode on, figure out if it's long enough to do three episodes, four episodes, just two episodes, etc. And I haven't gotten around to it. And that's too bad because it would have been a very easy three or four episode run. And instead, in this summer, we've had long stretches without episodes. Sometimes it's only two weeks, sometimes it's three weeks. Last year during the pandemic, when everything was so shut down, I did tend to get about three episodes out a month. And uh, that's great. It's great for the, the money that came in from the Patreon supporters. And it was great just to feel like I was accomplishing something. This year has been harder with that. But let me know if that's something that you want, although it's probably too late. If I do decide to do that, then I'm surely going to have recorded those episodes by the time this episode is edited and released. But one of the things that I was doing at the beginning of the summer was I was looking at other, art, uh, other authors' stories, and I was trying to get some recorded that I could share with people. And obviously the, the best scenario is sharing with you a story that I've written myself, where I own the rights, nobody else is going to do this story, nobody has insights on this story like I do, and, you know, frankly, nobody can do the story justice like I can. That just takes a very, very, very long time, and I can't do it every time. So there are many episodes that are just conversation. But the second best option, besides doing a story of my own, is to do a story that is in the public domain. 
Hence, I've done stuff by Charles Dickens, a lot of stuff by Edgar Allan Poe. I just recorded a Poe story last week or the week before. I did Rime of the Ancient Mariner really recently. Lovecraft is all in the public domain. I, I always intended to do another Conan, the Barbarian story. Really ought to do that. Although I did do Pigeons from Hell, so that's not forgotten. But the third tier of short stories is when it's something by, for example, Stephen King or Richard Matheson or B.D. Anklovich or one of those people who I do not own the rights to who are, and their stories are not in the public domain. And those I really need to not do very often. But it's hard for me not to because I love them and I really enjoy narration and I really enjoy sharing stories with people but in thinking about like what there is to do one of the very first episodes of the podcast that dares not speak its name was me doing the monkey's paw by W.W. Jacobs that story is in the public domain and is super well known but I honestly feel like it is possibly, I'm not going to say definitively, but possibly the greatest short story of the 20th century. But the thing is, I don't know anything else by W.W. W. Jacobs. There are writers out there who are famous for something, but there's usually something else that they're famous for. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to come up with a good example. Well, you know, Homer wrote the Odyssey, but he also wrote the Iliad. Okay, maybe that's not the best example. I, I just couldn't think of any others. The, the thing is, the monkey's paw is so wonderful. It's so perfect. What it reminds me of is one of those bands. Like when in Rome put out that song, The Promise, or the Proclaimers put out, I'm going to be, or... Dixie's Midnight Runners put out Come On Eileen, or Carly Rae Jepsen put out <laughs> Call Me Maybe. I, I couldn't do it. Gosh, that song sucks. <laughs> there will be these bands and they put out a song that's just perfect. It's excellent. It's, it's amazing. Danny Wilson, Mary's Prayer. And you think, oh my gosh, this is so, so good. How have I never heard anything else by this band? And every once in a while, you can seek out something by one of these bands and find out, oh, okay, they did have other really good songs. But for some reason, they never got played on the radio. They never became famous. Nobody ever says, here is another song by Benny Mardonis. Here is another song by Martika. Here's another song by Ray Parker Jr. Here is another song by Buckner and Garcia. <laughs> How many more can I do? I'm amusing myself, so let me do two more. Here is another song by Damn Yankees. Here is another song by Hubert Ka. Here is another song by Nick Kershaw. So what I did was I sought out a second story by W.W. W. Jacobs. 
It is a ghost story called Jerry Bundler. Sorry, there's no way of saying the name except for in a funny voice. Because boy, the title. There's a reason that nobody remembers a story called Jerry Bundler. But I sought out the story, I recorded the story, and now I'm going to share the story with you. You're welcome. Jerry Bundler by W.W. W. Jacobs Narrated by Rish Outfield It wanted a few nights to Christmas, a festival for which the small market town of Torchester was making extensive preparations. The narrow streets which had been thronged with people were now almost deserted. The cheap jack from London, with the remnant of breath left him after his evening's exertions, was making feeble attempts to blow out his naphtha lamp, and the last shops open were rapidly closing for the night. In the comfortable coffee-room of the old boar's head, half a dozen guests, principally commercial travellers, sat talking by the light of the fire. The talk had drifted from trade to politics, from politics to religion, and, so by easy stages, to the supernatural. Three ghost stories, never known to fail before, had fallen flat. There was too much noise outside, too much light within. The fourth story was told by an old hand with more success. The streets were quiet, and he had turned the gas out. In the flickering light of the fire, as it shone on the glasses and danced with the shadows on the walls, the story proved so enthralling that George, the waiter, whose presence had been forgotten, created a very disagreeable sensation by suddenly starting up from a dark corner and gliding silently from the room. "'That's what I call a good story,' said one of the men, sipping his hot whiskey. "'Of course, it's an old idea that spirits like to get into the company of human beings. A man told me once that he travelled down the Great Western with a ghost, and hadn't the slightest suspicion of it until the inspector came for tickets.' My friend said the way the ghost tried to keep up appearances by feeling for it in all its pockets and looking on the floor was quite touching. Ultimately it gave up, and with a faint groan vanished through the ventilator. "'That'll do, Hurst,' said another man. "'It's not a subject for jesting,' said a little old gentleman who had been an attentive listener. "'I've never seen an apparition myself.' but I know people who have, and I consider that they form a very interesting link between us and the afterlife. There's a ghost story connected with this house, you know. Never heard of it, said another speaker, and I've been here some years now. It dates back a long time now, said the old gentleman. You've heard about Jerry Bundler, George? "'Well, I've just heard odds and ends, sir,' said the old waiter. "'But I never put much count to him. "'There was one chap here what said he saw it, "'and the governor sacked him prompt. "'My father was a native of this town,' said the old gentleman, "'and knew the story well. "'He was a truthful man and a steady churchgoer, "'but I've heard him declare that once in his life "'he saw the appearance of Jerry Bundler.' in this house. 
"'And who was this bundler?' inquired a voice. "'A London thief, a pickpocket, highwayman, anything he could turn his dishonest hand to,' replied the old gentleman. "'And he was run to earth in this house one Christmas week some eighty years ago. He took his last supper in this very room.' and after he had gone up to bed a couple of Bow Street runners, who had followed him from London but lost the scent a bit, went upstairs with the landlord and tried the door. It was stout oak and fast, so one went into the yard and, by means of a short ladder, got on to the window-sill, while the other stayed outside the door. Those below in the yard saw the man crouching on the sill, and then there was a sudden smash of glass, and with a cry he fell in a heap on the stones at their feet. Then in the moonlight they saw the white face of the pickpocket peeping over the sill, and while some stayed in the yard, others ran into the house and helped the other man to break the door in. It was difficult to obtain an entrance even then, for it was barred with heavy furniture, but they got in at last and the first thing that met their eyes was the body of Jerry, dangling from the top of the bed by his own handkerchief. Which, Which bedroom, bedroom was, was it? it? asked two or three voices together. The narrator shook his head. That I can't tell you, but the story goes that Jerry still haunts this house, and my father used to declare positively that the last time he slept here, the ghost of Jerry Bundler lowered itself from the top of his bed, and tried to strangle him. "'That'll do,' said an uneasy voice. "'I wished you'd thought to ask your father which bedroom it was.' "'What for?' inquired the old gentleman. "'Well, I should take care not to sleep in it, that's all,' said the voice shortly. "'There's nothing to fear,' said the other. I don't believe for a moment that ghosts could really hurt one. In fact, my father used to confess that it was only the unpleasantness of the thing that upset him, and that for all practical purposes Jerry's fingers might have been made of cotton wool for all the harm they could do. That's all very fine, said the last speaker again. A ghost story is a ghost story, sir, but— when a gentleman tells a tale of a ghost in the house in which one is going to sleep, I call it most ungentlemanly. Pooh! Nonsense! said the old gentleman, rising. Ghosts can't hurt you. For my own part, I should rather like to see one. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Good night, Good night said the others. And I only hope Jerry will pay you a visit added the nervous man as the door closed. "'Bring some more whiskey, George,' said a stout commercial. "'I want keeping up when the talk turns this way.' "'Shall I light the gas, Mr. Malcolm?' said George. "'No, the fire's very comfortable,' said the traveller. "'Now, gentlemen, any of you know any more?' "'I think we've had enough,' said the other man. We shall be thinking we see spirits next, and we're not all like the old gentleman who's just gone. Old humbug, said Hurst. I should like to put him to the test. Suppose I dress up as Jerry Bundler and go and give him a chance of displaying his courage. Bravo, said Malcolm, huskily, drowning one or two faint no's. 
just for the joke, gentlemen. No, no, drop it, Hurst, said another man. Only for the joke, said Hurst, somewhat eagerly. I've got some things upstairs in which I am going to play in the rival's knee. Breeches, buckles, and all that sort of thing. It's a rare chance. If you'll wait a bit, I'll give you a full dress rehearsal, entitled Jerry Bundler or The Nocturnal Strangler. You won't frighten us, said the commercial, with a husky laugh. I don't know that, said Hurst sharply. It's a question of acting, that's all. I'm pretty good, ain't I, Summers? Oh, you're all right for an amateur, said his friend with a laugh. I'll bet a level solve you don't frighten me, said the stout traveller. Done, said Hurst. I'll take the bet to frighten you first and the old gentleman afterwards. These gentlemen shall be the judges. You won't frighten us, sir, said another man, because we're prepared for you. But you'd better leave the old man alone. It's dangerous play. Well, I'll try you first, said Hurst, springing up. No gas, mind. He ran lightly upstairs to his room, leaving the others, most of whom had been drinking somewhat freely, to wrangle about his proceedings. It ended in two of them going to bed. He's crazy on acting, said Summers, lighting his pipe. Thinks he's the equal of anybody, almost. It doesn't matter with us, but I won't let him go to the old man, and he won't mind so long as he gets an opportunity of acting to us. Well, I hope he'll hurry up, said Malcolm, yawning. It's nearly twelve now. Nearly half an hour passed. Malcolm drew his watch from his pocket and was busy winding it, when George the waiter, who had been sent on an errand to the bar, burst suddenly into the room and rushed towards them. "'He's coming, gentlemen,' he said breathlessly. "'Why, you're frightened, George,' said the stout commercial, with a chuckle. "'It was the suddenness of it,' said George sheepishly. "'And besides, I didn't look for seeing him in the bar.' There's only a glimmer of light there, and he was sitting on the floor behind the bar. I nearly trod on him. Oh, you'll never make a man, George, said Malcolm. Well, it took me unawares, said the waiter. Not that I have gone to the bar by myself if I'd known he was there. And I don't believe you would either, sir. Nonsense, said Malcolm. I'll go and fetch him. You don't know what it's like, sir, said George, catching him by the sleeve. It ain't fit to look at by yourself. It ain't, indeed. It's got the... What's that? They all started at the sound of a smothered cry from the staircase and the sound of somebody running hurriedly along the passage. Before anybody could speak, the door flew open and a figure bursting into the room flung itself gasping and shivering upon them. What is it? What's the matter? demanded Malcolm. Why, it's Mr. Hurst. He shook him roughly and then some spirit to his lips, Hurst drank it greedily, and with a sharp intake of his breath, gripped him by the arm. "'Light the gas, George,' said Malcolm. The waiter obeyed hastily. Hurst, a ludicrous but pitiable figure in knee-breeches and coat, a large wig all awry, and his face a mess of grease-paint, clung to him, trembling. "'Now, what's the matter?' asked Malcolm. "'I've seen it,' said Hurst with a hysterical sob. 
Oh, Lord, I'll never play the fool again. Never. Seen what? Seen what? Said the others. Him. The, the, the ghost. Anything. Said Hurst wildly. Rot, said Malcolm uneasily. I was coming down the stairs, said Hurst, just capering down as I thought it ought to do. I felt a tap. He broke off suddenly and peered nervously through the open door into the passage. I thought I saw it again, he whispered. Look, at the foot of the stairs. Can you see anything? No, th there's nothing there said Malcolm, whose own voice shook a little. Go on, you felt a tap on your shoulder. I turned round and saw it, a little wicked head and a white dead face. Ah! Oh. That's what I saw in the bar, said George. Or it, it was devilish. Hurst shuddered and, still retaining his nervous grip of Malcolm's sleeve, dropped into a chair. Well... It's a most unaccountable thing, said the dumbfounded Malcolm, turning to the others. It's the last time I come to this house. I leave tomorrow, said George. I wouldn't go down to that bar again by myself. No, not for fifty pounds. It's talking about the thing that's caused it, I expect, said one of the men. We've all been talking about this and having it in our minds. Practically, we've been forming a spiritualistic circle without knowing it. "'Hang the old gentleman,' said Malcolm heartily. "'Upon my soul, I'm half afraid to go to bed. "'It's odd they should both think they saw something.' "'I saw it as plain as I see you, sir,' said George solemnly. "'Perhaps if you keep your eyes turned up the passage, you'll see it for yourself.' They followed the direction of his finger, but saw nothing, although one of them fancied that a head peeped round the corner of the wall. "'Who'll come down to the bar?' said Malcolm, looking around. "'You can go, if you like,' said one of the others, with a faint laugh. "'We'll wait here for you.' The stout traveller walked towards the door and took a few steps up the passage. Then he stopped. All was quite silent, and he walked slowly to the end and looked down fearfully toward the glass partition, which shut off the bar. Three times he made as though to go to it. Then he turned back, and, glancing over his shoulder, came hurriedly back to the room. "'Did you see it, sir?' whispered George. "'Don't know,' said Malcolm softly. "'I fancied I saw something, but it might have been fancy. I'm in the mood to see anything just now. Uh, how, how are you feeling now, sir?' "'Oh, I, I feel a bit better now,' said Hurst, somewhat brusquely, as all eyes were turned upon him. "'I, I dare say you think I'm easily scared, but you didn't see it.' "'Not at all,' said Malcolm, smiling faintly despite himself. "'I'm going to bed,' said Hurst, noticing the smile and resenting it. "'Will you share my room with me, Summers?' "'I will with pleasure,' said his friend. "'provided you don't mind sleeping with a gas on full all night.' He rose from his seat, and bidding the company a friendly good night, left the room with his crestfallen friend. The others saw them to the foot of the stairs, and having heard their door close, returned to the coffee-room. "'Well, I suppose the bet's off,' 
said the stout commercial, poking the fire and then standing with his legs apart on the hearthrug. So, as far as I can see, I won it. I never saw a man so scared in all my life. Sort of poetic justice about it, isn't there? Never mind about poetry or justice, said one of his listeners. Who's going to sleep with me? I will, said Malcolm affably. And I suppose we share a room together, Mr. Leake, said the third man, turning to the fourth. No, thank you, said the other briskly. I don't believe in ghosts. If anything comes into my room, I shall shoot it. No, thank you, said the other, briskly. I don't believe in ghosts. If anything comes into my room, I shall shoot it. That won't hurt a spirit, Leake, said Malcolm decisively. Well, the noise'll be like company to me, said Leake, and it'll wake the house, too. But if you're nervous, sir, to the man who had suggested sharing his room, George'll be only too pleased to sleep on the doormat inside your room, I know. That I will, sir, said George fervently. And if you gentlemen would only come down with me to the bar to put the gas out, I could never be sufficiently grateful. They went out in a body, with the exception of Leek, peering carefully before them as they went. George turned the light out in the bar, and they returned unmolested to the coffee-room, and, avoiding the sardonic smile of Leek, prepared to separate for the night. "'Give me the candle while you put the gas out, George,' said the traveller. The waiter handed it to him and extinguished the gas, and at the same moment all distinctly heard a step in the passage outside. It stopped at the door, and as they watched with bated breath, the door creaked and slowly opened. Malcolm fell back, open-mouthed, as a white, leering face with sunken eyeballs and close-cropped bullet head appeared at the opening. For a few seconds the creature stood regarding them, blinking in a strange fashion at the candle. Then, with a sidling movement, it came a little way into the room and stood there as if bewildered. Not a man spoke or moved, but all watched with a horrible fascination as the creature removed its dirty neckcloth and its head rolled on its shoulder. For a minute it paused, and then, holding the rag before it, moved towards Malcolm. The candle went out suddenly with a flash and a bang. There was a smell of powder and something writhing in the darkness on the floor, a faint, choking cough, and then silence. Malcolm was the first to speak. Matches, he said in a strange voice. George struck one. Then he leapt at the gas, and a burner flamed from the match. Malcolm touched the thing on the floor with his foot and found it soft. He looked at his companions. They mouthed inquiries at him, but he shook his head. He lit the candle and, kneeling down, examined the silent thing on the floor. Then he rose swiftly, dipping his handkerchief in the water jug, bent down again, and grimly wiped the white face. Then he sprang back with a cry of incredulous horror, pointing at it. Leek's pistol fell to the floor, and he shut out the sight with his hands, but the others, crowding forward, gazed spellbound at the dead face of Hurst. Before a word was spoken, the door opened, 
and Summers hastily entered the room. His eyes fell on the floor. "'Good God!' he cried. "'You didn't!' Nobody spoke. "'I told him not to,' he said in a suffocating voice. "'I told him!' He leaned against the wall, deathly sick, put his arms out feebly, and fell fainting into the traveler's arms. So there you are, Jerry Bundler by W.W. Jacobs. I should have... Come on. I guess I'm not used to driving a stick, am I? Jerry Bundler. I should have told you a little bit about W.W. Jacobs before I ran the story. Uh, let, let's do that now. About the author. Very briefly, W.W. W. Jacobs, uh, William Weimark, Jacobs, uh, an English author, born in 1863, was a writer. He, in his life, he was mostly known for his comic fiction. He would write funny stories about sailors, about soldiers, men in pubs. But of course, today, he's best remembered for his horror stories. Well, he is best remembered for a horror story, The Monkey's Paw. He, he wrote a couple of other ghost stories that were famous, uh, one called The Toll House, which I did sit down and record, I don't know, six months ago. I don't know. And didn't ever feel like editing it. Uh, if you liked this one, then it's already recorded. I might as well put it out. And Jerry Bundler was actually the first of Jacob's works to be dramatically portrayed. I don't know how to say it. It was performed as a play with the book written by Jacob's himself in 1899. And it was successful enough that they did it again in 1902. And that was before Monkey's Paw was even published. And so... Monkey's Paw wasn't like a, a breakthrough hit. So today I finished editing an episode that has come and gone, and I recorded an, a new story for an upcoming episode, which I suppose will drop after this one. But I still had a little bit of time on my hands. I didn't want to write. <laughs> so I looked through my recordings, and there are a couple of stories that I have recorded in hopes that one would be good and that I could put out an episode about, with, like I said, 20 minutes ago. But occasionally I will do the recording and then say, yeah, this story is just not good enough to run or my performance isn't good enough. You can, hey, let's blame it on my performance. What do you say? And Jerry Bundler, must have been one of those because I had no memory of the story. I saw the name and I just thought, what? So I opened the file today while I was making sandwiches and I listened to it and I thought, oh, okay, I remember this. I guess I'll have to do an episode of this. What struck me most, and I guess this will tell you why the story just sat unused for so long. But the thing that struck me most was that 
there's a character named Jerry in the story, and there's a character named George in the story. And for a big stretch this last year, my cousin and I have been watching Seinfeld. That's it. I just thought that that was interesting. Part of the difficulty of doing a story like this, and the story that I recorded today is by M.R. James, and it had the same difficulty, which is that I am not English, and it was written by an Englishman, and I've tried, however unsuccessfully, to do the story where I do the narration in my own voice, but I try to do all the characters' voices with English accents, but I'm not sure how successful those are. Especially when I'm not familiar with the story, I don't know... I don't know! how distinctive to make those parts. I don't know. I don't know. Which is the main character and which isn't. The story that I did today, well, I'll talk about it in the episode, but one of the characters had his, all of his dialogue written in sort of a cockney, where they'd write out how the guy spoke, where it's apostrophe E-R-E instead of here, or N-O-T-H-I-N-K, Things like that, actually that made it very helpful for me in performing that part. But I have heard critics and editors say that they hate that, don't ever do that. To which I say, do what you want, if it helps. Cry in the night, if it helps. But more than ever, I simply love you more than life itself. And I guess that's why they call it the blues. Time on my hands. I love ghost stories. I love ghosts. I love the supernatural. I love this idea of a bunch of people getting together and swapping ghost stories. Big Anklevich and I have talked on many occasions and, and several Doonstief episodes about the tradition that used to exist of the, on Christmas Eve, you get together and you tell ghost stories. Or maybe it was Christmas Day. I, I, I don't have any idea where that tradition came from, except for that I love it and that I wish that I could be part of that tradition. And I haven't written a Christmas story this year. Traditionally, I do write one. And last year, by this time, I had written one. And... Uh, it made it easy at the end of the year to not have to rush and try and get one in. And I still did. I started writing a story in, gosh, it was like, like the 14th of December, hoping that I could get it done by Christmas. I don't think that I did, but I got it done by the end of the year. And that counts. That story, Made Just For You, was a Lara and the Witch Christmas tale that is available to buy if you'd like to. But I have the tradition, and Big does as well, of always writing a Christmas story each year. And I, I, I'm going to keep that up. And maybe I can write a story about people that get together and swap ghost stories on Christmas Eve. I discovered a website that does contests, themed contests, where they want you to write a story about blank. You know, like an unlocked door 
the color green. And thus far, I haven't written a single one based on their prompts because I'm almost done with my novel and I keep thinking, as soon as I finish, I can write one of these short stories. It'll be a sorbet. But I could see writing a Christmas ghost story about an unlocked door. I could see writing a Christmas story about a green light, certainly, right? Well, this has been a short one. And that's good because the episode that I finished today was like 93 minutes long. If you consider how long that took to record and edit, I am grateful for a Jerry Bundler. Holy mackerel, that title. It, the title is so bad that it made me say holy mackerel, guys. Here, here's something that I would like from you. If there is a W.W. Jacobs story that you have read that is as good as Monkey's Paw or considerably better than Jerry Bundler, please let me know about it. In the comments, you can let me know on Facebook, you can let me know via an email, you can let me know through astral projection and I will check it out. In the meantime, I do have a Patreon account such that it is. It seems that there are fewer and fewer supporters all the time, but it is still out there. I still produce an episode for them every month that I put just as much effort into as I do a Rich Outcast episode. And it's super appreciated and it's helpful to make this show a priority for me. In the meantime, go your way. Have a good evening. Pleasant dreams. I ain't afraid of no ghost. Good night. The Rish Outcast has reached its end. For now, anyway. And on reflection, I suspect it was produced with some sort of Creative Commons license. Perhaps a non-commercial one. One with no derivatives, but with attribution also. Evidence points to the legendary Gino Moretto for the logo and Algar Van Kluth for the rather rude sound that follows. It is my recommendation that you share this file, if you see fit, but do not try to sell it or change it or make alterations to it. If that goes well, perhaps you could contribute a dollar an episode or more to the Patreon fund attached to it over at www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield to ensure that more episodes are produced. If that does not go well, however, I suggest you run. Now! agonized scream. His scream needs to echo through the night. So, God, why did I record this at 1.30 in the morning? I, I can't do it. I'll, I'll have to do it tomorrow. 
Sometimes when it's a made-up word, a nonsense word, a foreign word, and I don't know how to pronounce something, I will try and pronounce it as many possible ways as I can, and then just edit out the ones that are wrong. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll do it six, seven, eight, nine different ways, and then it turns out to not be any of those, and so I have to re-record anyhow. Fun, huh? The ice was here. The ice was there. The ice was all around. It cracked and growled and roared and howled like noises in a swound. Really? A swound? What? You should have seen his sister, a Barbie doll, come to life, but with the same accent as him. She shook her head. Not sullenly. Not soberly. Not sadly. Ah. <sighs> She shook her head gravely. This is taking a super long time, kids. Oh, and, and I was just listening to Dana Carvey's impression of Paul McCartney. And now I'm afraid that a lot of my narration is going to sound like this. His way of talking, of doing a Paul McCartney, is so much better than mine. Uh, but I, I, you know, Carvey was paid to imitate McCartney and probably met McCartney on more than one occasion. The fair breeze blew. The white foam flew. The white foam flew. The furrow followed free. I went to Los Angeles. I went to Los Angeles once. I went to Las On. I went. I went to Los Angeles once, a few years back. I went to Los Angeles once, a few years back. Well, that's interesting. The computer just uh, switched to a different window on its own. And now I can't switch back. A few years back. We were stuck in traffic for nearly an hour. We were stuck in traffic for nearly an hour. We were stuck in traffic for nearly an hour. Before she grabbed the broom, though. Before she grabbed the broom, though. She walked back out the break room. She walked out. She walked back out the break room. She walked back out the break. Before she grabbed the broom, though. She walked back out the break room door. She peeked back out of the break room to make sure there was nobody waiting at the reception desk. Before she grabbed the broom. Before she grabbed the broom, though. She stepped back out of the break room to make sure there was nobody waiting at the reception desk. The skiff boat neared. I heard them talk. Why is this strange, I trow? Where e Where are those lights so many and fair that... Where are those lights so many and fair that signal made them but now? God damn it. Where are those lights so many and fair that signal made but now? She found Michelle sitting in the chair at the desk. Reading her. She found Michelle sitting in the chair at the reception desk. Reading her. F reading her poetry. Reading her favorite poetry. Reading her favorite poetry posts on that website she maintained. Managed reading her favorite poetry posts on that website she managed. I... I didn't recognize you. I didn't recognize you. I love it. Well, thanks, man. I, I didn't recognize you. 